Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. My name is Heather Taves. I'm the teaching team director here at 214. And uh, well, thank you. That's actually a really cool job because I get to communicate with all of our preachers that get up here every week and hear what God's laid on their hearts. And um, when we were having our vision team meeting, which is where we plan out all of the next six months that uh, vision team and teaching team plan out the next six months of what we feel like God is asking us to say to the church. And uh, we started to feel like the Lord was leading us to study the book of Revelation. Now, you have to know something. There have been some people... Peyton and others that have been asking for a series on Revelation for eight years, for a very long time. And um, it's always been the Lord has just not opened that door. However, Chris, who's my husband, he'll be up here in a minute, he began studying Revelation four years ago. He actually memorized, I'm sorry if I'm stealing some of your thunder, but he gave me the thumbs up. So he actually memorized the entire first chapter about four years ago. He began to do a deep dive into the book of Revelation. So this series is really four plus years in coming. But when we were in our teaching team meeting, we, we felt like the Lord was saying, go look at Revelation. And, and I heard the, the number 22. Now, I knew there were 22 chapters of Revelation, But all of a sudden, I thought, I wonder how many weeks there are from July, when we'll be starting this series, through December, the end of the year. And I started counting. And then I counted again. And then I counted a third time, because I thought I must be wrong. There are 22 Sundays that we will be here from now until the end of December, not counting Salus. And so that was kind of like, the Lord was like, do you get it? Like, Yeah. We got it. So every week for the next six months, the person that comes up here to teach God's word will be teaching from the book of Revelation. The thing, two things I want you to know. One, it won't be taught in chapter order because it's not written in chapter order. So we're going to start with chapter one today, but then we're going to skip to Revelation 12 next week. So don't get confused if things start to get a little wonky when you're reading through Revelation. You're like, but they didn't teach that part. We'll get there, I promise. Okay, get that? Okay. The second thing, and I want you to hear this, it, say it, is not scary. Say it again. It is not scary at all. Some of you maybe have had some teaching in the past, or you have this preconceived idea that Revelation is scary and, and, you know, there's a lot of, like, unknown stuff. It's not scary. It's victorious. It is amazing. You're going to walk away absolutely loving what God shows you through this book. So just take that off the table right now and come in expectant for what God wants to do. Get it? Okay. Now, every week, we're going to read one chapter in order. So, week one, Revelation one. This is the unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to share with his loving servants what must occur swiftly. 
he signified it by sending his angel to his loving servant, John. I, John, bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. A joyous blessing rests upon the one who reads this message and upon those who hear and embrace the words of this prophecy, for the appointed time is in your hands. From John to the seven churches in western Turkey, may the kindness of God's grace and peace overflow to you from him who is and who was and who is coming. And from the seven spirits who were in front of his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, and the ruling king who rules over the kings of the earth. Now to the one who constantly loves us and has loosed us from our sins by his own blood. And to the one who has appointed us as a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion throughout the eternity of eternities. Amen. Behold, he appears within the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the people of the earth will weep with sorrow because of him. And so it is to be. I am the Aleph and the Tav, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, am your brother and companion in tribulation, the kingdom and the patience that are found in Jesus. I was exiled to the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit realm on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice saying like a trumpet, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. When I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands. And walking among the lampstands, I saw someone like a son of man wearing a full-length robe with a golden sash over his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, white as glistening snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were gleaming like bright metal as though they were glowing in the fire, and his voice was like the roar of many rushing waters." In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. And his face was shining like the brightness of the blinding sun. When I saw him, I fell down at his feet, as good as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, and I heard his reassuring voice saying, Don't yield to fear. I am the beginning, and I am the end the living one. I was dead, but now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys that unlock death and the unseen world. Now I want you to write what you have seen, what is, and what comes after the things that I reveal to you. The mystery of the lampstands and the seven stars is this. The seven lampstands are the seven churches, and the seven stars in my right hand are the seven messengers of the seven churches. Revelation 1.
Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for being in this place. Jesus, would you reveal yourself to us today like we have never seen you before? Like you did to John on that prison island of Patmos, would you reveal your nature and your character, mysteries that you've held in reserve for Church 214 for this day in 2023? Jesus, I pray for every heart to be soft in this moment, for us to stay in the spirit, for us to listen to your voice, for us to turn towards you, for us to see you in all of your majesty, and for us to fall on our face before you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. I think I was just thinking it was, it's very significant. I think, is this the third anniversary of us being at Oak Street? The third, right? Second, my goodness, okay, second anniversary. Um, that's significant that we're launching a series, a six-month series on the book of Revelation, and you all came. <laughs> that's incredible. I love it. This, this may be one of the most exciting chapters that our church has ever seen because I don't know of any church that's doing this, and yet we're actually commanded to do this. Revelation 22.10 says this, and he said to me, don't keep the secret the prophetic words of this book, for the time is near. But for the last 80 to 100 years, and we won't go into all the reasons why, but one of the greatest strategies of the enemy has been to scare and intimidate the followers of Jesus Christ from reading, studying, memorizing, and preaching the book of Revelation. A few generations ago, a terrible teaching of the book of Revelation infiltrated the church, and all of a sudden the church found itself teaching a fear-based, scary, everyone is going to have their heads chopped off, completely incorrect and false version of the book of Revelation. This, these are the churches that we grew up in, and we as the church must take responsibility for that and course correct and turn back to the hope and the truth of the reality of the unveiling of Jesus Christ in Revelation. See, this teaching had never before been taught a couple generation, until a couple generations ago in the church. And all of a sudden, the church had turned the greatest hope-filled message into a fear-based and demonic agenda designed to paralyze the lovers of Jesus Christ. And it worked for a long time, didn't it? But no longer. Not on our watch. The longing of heaven had been turned into a fear of Jesus returning. How many of you at any point in time had a, has had or still has a fear of Jesus returning? Okay, those are the honest ones. I dare to say every single one of you has experienced that fear in your heart. And that is not the reality of Revelation. Not at all. I want to be very clear that this, what we've grown up in, is a despicable and demonic teaching. I'm not mincing words. Jesus did not come to give us the spirit of fear, did he? He came to give us power and love and of a sound mind. If something is fear-based, then it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So starting today and for the next 22 weeks, we are going to come against this false version. We are going to unlearn what we've been taught all of these years and learn the real hope and the truth of the book of Revelation and get excited for the hope of heaven and, and install that once again into our hearts, once again fix our eyes on the King of kings and the Lord of lords and look towards the glory of our risen King. Amen? We will not keep secret the prophetic words of this book, for the time is near. Now's your time to be honest. If you've ever been afraid or have been taught this teaching in your life of the book of Revelation, I want you to stand up. We're going to do something before we start this series. Jesus taught us to bind and loose. And so I want you to just hold your hands out. With the authority and power of Jesus Christ, we bind this spirit of fear that has kept us from reading, from memorizing, from receiving, and, and preaching the book of Revelation. And we repent for believing these disgusting lies of fear that are from the pit of hell. And we cast out any teaching of hell that we previously believed and was steeped in fear. We reject anything that would keep our hearts from wanting Jesus to return. We cut off every teaching that keeps us from wanting to once again be fully at home with our our Father, and we say that this church, Church 214, this body of believers will no longer participate with demons that make us scared to enter our land of promise. And we loose the spirit of hope over our hearts. We turn our hearts towards the beauty of heaven. We fix our eyes on our beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ. And we anticipate eagerly that our victorious, ruling, and reigning King will continue to establish heaven here on earth in Peoria. We call heaven to earth right now in this moment that, Jesus, you would mark us with new names. You would give us white stones. Would you open our ears to hear your voice? Would you open our eyes to see your beautiful face, to see into the unseen realm like John did, to glimpse your power and your glory and your might. And we pray this in the mighty and holy name of Jesus Christ. And every heart and person came into agreement and said, amen. You may take your seats. And we said, come, Lord Jesus, come. That is the heartbeat, the cry of his bride, the church. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Say that with me. The revelation of Jesus Christ. One more time. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation is Greek. It's uh, the word apocalypse. Sounds scary, right? Because the world, world has made that word scary. It's not. Apocalypse means the unveiling. It's like pulling back a curtain in a dark room to unveil the sunlight. The revelation of Jesus Christ, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. See, Proverbs says the glory of God is to conceal a matter, and it's the glory of kings, you and I, to search it out, to search out the mystery. See, he's attracted to our hunger for his unveiling. He loves to hide things in plain sight. He did it at the cross. It was his greatest triumph. It's unbelievable. The enemy fell for it, and the enemy keeps falling for his mysterious traps. He's attracted to our hunger for him. I say it all the time. You can have as much of Jesus as you want. 
anyone in this room, anyone on the podcast. You can have as much of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as your heart is hungry for. And this church will always be one that never grows tired of searching for more and more and more and more and more of who he is. That is how we go from glory to glory to glory. It's the revelation of one name, Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of the beast. It's not the revelation of the mark. It's not the revelation of the false prophet. Are those things real and mentioned in Revelation? Absolutely. And it's important who we, who, that we understand what they are and what they represent. But the moment we start looking at the beast more than we start looking at Jesus Christ is the moment we've lost hope. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The pulling back the curtain, the unveiling of who he is. So in these 22 weeks leading up to the end of the year, we're not going to focus on dates and times and pre-trib, post-trib, pan-trib, mid-trib, whatever trib, fill in the blank. Those kind of rabbit trails have led the church toward fear far too long. We're going to focus on one thing and one thing only. We're going to teach about a lot of things that you need to understand, but we're going to focus on the unveiling of our Savior, the pulling back the curtain to reveal the Son of Man, the Ancient of Days. We're going to come up here to the throne room. We're going to look. We're going to behold. We're going to see the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. We're going to see the lion of the tribe of Judah in all his glory. We're going to look at the true and the faithful one who rides in on a white horse whose name is written on his thigh. And we're going to see the mighty reigning ruling king of kings and lord of lords. And by the end of this year, you will have no doubt in your mind who is your king, who is your lord. And you will no longer be afraid of what the enemies tried to do for the last 80 to 100 years. Is everybody with me? If you have your Bibles, you can follow along, whatever translation you'd like. Revelation 1. Let me set the scene. Heather just read it. But the Apostle John, and I love that it was John, because he's my favorite disciple. I don't know if you're allowed to have favorites or not, but he is. He called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Sounds like an arrogant title, doesn't it? But no, it's, it's so humble. It's what actually each of us should call ourselves, the disciple that Jesus loved. He knew his identity, that he was a son, that he, could, he had a father he could call Abba. And John finds himself late in his life in his mid-80s. And he's on an island in modern-day Greece called Patmos. And he's a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He's living on this prison island, and and Rome used this island, they used prisoners on this island um, as a rock quarry to to break large rocks into small rocks. Ironically, it's the work that I do. I sell parts for that in modern day. But John was a prisoner and had the responsibility to cut stone for the Romans to build their empire. Every other disciple of Jesus Christ, every other apostle had been killed, most by the Romans, put to death in the most horrific ways because they would not renounce the name of Jesus Christ, because they were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, because they started something that we're still doing 2,000 years later, the fire that can never be put out. And of the original disciples, only John was left. 
It's a lonely place to be to watch all your best friends that you've warred with, that you've stood alongside. I'll be murdered for one name, and I'm sure it was it probably felt it would have been easier at that point for John just to give up. Death probably would have been kinder at that point for John. But I love John's attitude. See, a few years earlier, Emperor Nero had Peter, Paul, and Timothy all killed. And even worse, Emperor was now in place. And he demanded that everyone worship him as Lord and God. And if they did not, they would be killed. And many, many Christians were killed in that era. We know of at least 40,000 Christians that were killed in 92 AD alone. It was perhaps the worst bloodbath, if you were a Christian, that this world has ever faced. The worst time in history to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And here was John, alone as a Christian, a prisoner of Rome on an island rock quarry. But he was exactly where Jesus wanted him. Verse 1, this is the unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to share with his loving servants what must occur swiftly. He signified it by sending his angel to his loving servant, John. John bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. A joyous blessing rests upon the one who reads this message and upon those who hear and embrace the words of this prophecy. For the appointed time is in your hands. Why don't you stand up again? This is an interactive service. Who wants to be blessed? Let's receive this blessing from Revelation that John's about to give to the seven churches, which also extend to Church 214 in 2023. Amen. Open up your hands or one of your hands if you can and receive this. From John to the seven churches in western Turkey. May the kindness of God's grace and peace overflow to you from him who is and who was and who is coming. And from the seven spirits who were in front of his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn among the dead and the ruling king who rules over the kings of the earth. Now to the one who constantly loves us, And has loosed us from our sins by his own blood. And to the one who has appointed us as a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father to him. Be the glory and dominion throughout the eternity of eternities. And all God's people said, Amen. You may sit down. In both the first chapter of Revelation and the last chapter of Revelation, it mentions the blessing of reading this word and receiving this word. That is why the enemy has tried to twist it and keep it hidden for the last 80 to 100 years. No longer. Verse 7, Behold, he appears within the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the people of the earth will weep with sorrow because of him. And so it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Tab, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God, who is who was, who is to come, the Almighty. The God who was, the God who is, the God who is to come. The power of three. We've talked about it before. Always notice when you see three. 
quick example. So when you're, let me just go back for a second. When you're reading Revelation, you cannot read it chronologically like Heather said. You have to think in, in the way God thinks. He's outside of time and space. He's the God who was, who is currently, and who is coming. An example would be God started this whole thing in a garden, didn't he? And we made a mistake. Eve and Adam, they ate the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. But then God sent his son, and he appeared to another woman after he rose from the dead in a garden. And then Revelation 21 and 22 tells us the end is going to be back in a garden that God is building us for. He's going to redeem the whole thing. So the God who was in the garden, the God who is in the garden, and the God who's coming to the garden. Does that make sense? He's all in all three places at the same time. He's doing all three things because he lives outside of time and space. It's hard for our minds to wrap that uh, the concept around, but we have to think this way. We cannot read Revelation chronologically, otherwise we'll get very, very confused. The God who is, the God who was, the God who is coming. It happened, it's happening, and it's going to happen. Verse 9, I, John, am your brother and companion in tribulation, the kingdom and the patience that are found in Jesus. I was exiled on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John's writing to the church. He's writing to, yes, those seven churches in western Turkey, but he's also writing to us today. And, the Holy, and John's saying, I'm your brother. I'm exiled, but I'm the same as you. I'm your companion in this tribulation. Like Whatever you're going through, others have gone through before. And I, John, I understand that. If you know my story, I'm your companion in tribulation. I'm your companion in the kingdom. You're, you're, you're part of a kingdom that's looking towards its king. You're not just here to suck your thumb and wait for Jesus to come back. You have a role and responsibility to play. And then John says, I'm your companion in patience that is found in Jesus. Man, he had to be a patient man on that island to hear and see what God had for him. And then I love this. John knew that he had a purpose in exile. He says, I was exiled on the island of Patmos for two reasons. The word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I think this speaks into all of our lives today. See, you and I can choose to be in, in a prison that, that's very real. Whatever that prison is in your life, the thing that holds you back, the thing that you think is limiting you, you can choose to sit in that prison and just have a pity party for yourself. We've all been there. I'm sure there's people in this room that are there right now mentally. You're in a prison. Or you can choose to see a bigger purpose. John could have easily said, I'm good. I'm 84-ish years old. I've, I've served Jesus for 60-some-plus years, maybe longer. I've done all these things. Look, look at everything I've done for the kingdom of God. Look at everything that I've, I've been an apostle. I've done this and that. I'm good. Like, I've run the race, right? Why, why, I'll just sit here and kind of let this play out in my pity party in prison. I'll just wait for Jesus to take me home. It's better that I die like the rest of the apostles. There's no more use for me here. I've done all these great things. 
What purpose could I possibly have on this island breaking rocks every day for the Romans, just furthering their evil agenda? What purpose could I have? And see, we all think like that sometimes, don't we? So you can break down rocks in isolation or you can realize that your exile, your prison is for a bigger purpose and to allow the rock of ages to break your heart down and soften your heart down so that you don't fall victim to that pit of shame and guilt and fear and whatever fill in the blank. How many of us see our purpose in life and our purpose in these prisons as the word of God and the testimony of Jesus? That's a challenge to every single set of ears in this room. How many of us just give up? Whether, it's, whether you think you're too old, whether you think you've just done enough, whether it's just too hard, we just give up. We make excuses in our mind. But you're here to serve a king and a kingdom. If you're still breathing this morning, and I hope everyone is in this room, you're here to serve a king and a kingdom. You have a purpose, and that purpose is at least the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. If you have nothing else, it's the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. But see, we refuse to look higher many times. Like Daniel said, and he had this scary vision. He saw kings and kings and thrones and thrones. But he said, I kept looking higher until I saw the king and the throne. That's a word for all of us. So anytime you feel your heart start to get into that prison mindset, you break out of that prison by the power of Jesus and say, no, I'm here for at least two things only, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, and I refuse to look at this Roman king right here, this guy that's putting everybody to death, I'm going to look higher, whatever that is, a boss, a job, a, a situation, your marriage, your kids, whatever that is that's keeping you in prison, you look higher. You look to a higher throne because there is a king who is calling you to be part of a kingdom. And that's what John is writing to the seven churches and writing to us about. Let me tell you this. Jesus is not coming back until the church grows white hot in anticipation of their king. He is not returning for a bride that has no passion for him. He is not. He's coming back for a bride whose lamps are full of oil, a bride who is in full anticipation, a bride who is eagerly awaiting, and a bride who is calling on heaven to invade earth, a bride who knows that they fight from victory, a bride who looks at giants and says, you're not my next meal, I'm not afraid of you. Thank you for letting me take your territory. Thank you, oh yeah, that's fear, uh-huh, I'm going to take your ground. But I think many of us, all of us in this room from time to time, we see giants and we run another 40 laps in the wilderness, don't we? We run away in fear. We don't see the fear for what it really is. We don't see that the giants are actually the promise or a sign of the promise. They're not the promise, but they're a sign of the promise. See, Jesus is not coming back for a mediocre half-baked church. He's coming back for a remnant that is eagerly anticipating the return of their king. <laughs> we can't live in a cave and think that Jesus is one day just going to rescue us. That is not the calling of the gospel. That is not the calling of the kingdom. That is not the book of Revelation. You are not a cave-dwelling, thumb-sucking Christian. Those things don't add up. 
You fight from a place of victory, from a place of it's already done. The rescue mission is already complete. Jesus died on the cross from your sins, and three days later, he walked out of a tomb. He walked out of a cave. Do not go back in that cave and suck your thumb and wait till he comes back. That's not the church. That's not the bride that he's returning for. Be part of the remnant who is eagerly looking to the king of kings, who is the ruling and reigning king, who controls every single situation that you could face in your life. He's got it all in his control. He's fully alive. He's fully victorious. And if he lives in you, then you have resurrection power, or you should have resurrection power flowing out of you. So let's walk in the authority that's actually given us. Stop walking around like Eeyore Christians. Oh boy, life's so hard. Speak like you're actually seated next to him in the throne room. Because that's where your spirit is. Run towards the enemy when you see him. Like, that's the heart of David. Like, who is this guy that defies my God? Who is this guy that defies Yahweh? He's my next meal. But we're all standing on the sidelines waiting for a David to show up when the David is right here inside of us. Verse 10. I was in the spirit realm on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud shout sounding like a trumpet saying to me, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. I was in the spirit realm. Do you know you have a choice to be in the spirit realm? Now, I'm not saying every time you want to be in the spirit realm, God's going to manifest a certain way. But what I'm saying is there's a heart attitude that's a choice of yours to say, I'm going to interact and engage with the spirit of God. None of this happens if John is not in the spirit realm. If John is not, his heart position is not knowing he's there for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, knowing he's there for a higher purpose. If he doesn't enter into what the Spirit of God is doing, if he doesn't enter into this other realm, none of this happens. A few chapters later in Romans or Revelation 4, Jesus tells John to come up here, come up to the throne room, come up higher. There's a choice you and I must make in our life every day, every moment of every day. Are we going to live in this dimension that we can see around us? And yes, I suggest that we live in this. It's a good idea. But we also have to realize there is another realm, there's another dimension that is the unseen realm that we have access to because of Jesus Christ. And we are called to live in that realm as well because what happens in that realm impacts (laughs) everything that happens in this realm. And things that happen in this realm affect the other realm. But the choice is yours. See, we've talked about it before. Our God, our Father is so good, he will not force you. He didn't make you to be a robot. Love requires a choice. And so it's your choice whether or not you want to step in to the spirit realm. It's your choice whether you want to come up higher to the throne room. This is the same God that says, if you seek me, you will find me. That requires you seeking him. I I guarantee you've never played a game of hide and and seek as a kid. Or maybe you play it as adults now too. Is that a cool thing? I don't know. I haven't done it in a while. 
I guarantee you never played a game of hide and seek and the other person runs off to go hide and you just sat there and found them. But that's what we act like as Christians. Okay, run away and go hide. Now I'm going to find you and we don't move. The kingdom requires movement. The kingdom requires walking. Jesus came to the shoreline of the very first disciples and he says, come and follow me. He didn't say, come stand here with me. He said, come and follow me. We're going places. We're, we're, this is a kingdom. I'm a king. This is a kingdom. We're going to take ground together. See, God could do all of this without us, but he doesn't because he wants a family. He loves us too much. He wants to see the response of hearts to him. That's the beautiful thing. When we get that, when we say, when we understand that, man, he's available, but I have to go seek him. I can't just sit here. I've got to go do something. I've got to take some steps. That's why our church name is full of action, Acts 2.14, stepping forward together. That's how the church started. And we're continuing what God started back there in Acts. We're saying we're not just going to sit around. We have to walk. This is a kingdom, and we serve a king, and we got to walk where he's walking. we got to go where he's going. Amen? See, many Christ followers never hear him because they refuse to come up higher. A lot of us just approach him casually, and then we expect some sort of significant spiritual results. You approach him casually, you're going to get a casual relationship. In your marriage, if you don't pursue your wife or your husband, you're going to get the results of that. And we are a bride that is pursuing the bridegroom. And until we get white hot, see, that's why he responds. When there's a group of people that are eagerly anticipating the king, he shows up, doesn't he? He manifests, he does something. And I dare to say that there's a group of people in this room that are eagerly anticipating what the king is going to do next. See, the entirety of Revelation is you and I choosing to pull back this curtain in a dark room to reveal an entirely new realm. A realm that is higher and greater than the realm that our physical eyes can see, but a realm that impacts absolutely everything around us. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Verse 12, when I turned, when I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands and walking among the lampstands, I saw someone like the son of man wearing a full length robe and a golden sash over his chest. When I turned. I love those three words. See, John, he's 80-some years old. He's turned a lot of times towards Jesus, hasn't he? Many, many times he's turned towards the voice of Jesus. But this time was different. He turns and sees someone, someone among the lampstands. And what you'll learn next week is the lampstands represent the churches. And he's in the middle of them. It's beautiful. He's not on the outskirts. He's right in the center. He's right here, right now in the middle of us. And he sees someone that looks like the Son of Man. 
Now, you have to understand, in Revelation, there's really nothing new that's written. It's all mirroring and ties to all the other 65 books of the Bible. There's, there's new imagery. There's, there's different things. But there's nothing really that brand new. Everything's already been written, but it's a, it's a book of hope. And it ties back, and it ties forward, and it's so beautiful. And the Son of Man is a reference to Daniel chapter 7. Where the Ancient of Days, Daniel has this vision, and, he, and the Ancient of Days gives the Son of Man all dominion and authority and glory and power. And he gives the Son of Man an everlasting kingdom, that all peoples and nations would serve him and worship him in the everlasting kingdom. So John knows exactly who he's looking at when he turns. And I love this. The first thing that he references is the full-length robe. The full-length robe signifies the authority of Jesus Christ as our high priest. It's the one who's completely righteous. It underscores his authority to reconcile you and I to the Father. And then the, the sash, the golden sash across his chest. Back in the ancient days, the kings would wear sashes across their chest or people of high authority to designate the authority in which they had. And, he, and Jesus is wearing a golden sash display, displaying his ultimate authority as the king of kings and the lord of lords. I love this is the first thing John sees because remember John is in a Roman prison where the worst emperor in, in Roman history has proclaimed that everyone had dressed him as Dominus et Deus, Lord and God. Otherwise, if you didn't, you would face prison or death. That's why so many Christians were being martyred. And Jesus shows up to John and just standing there in his robe and sash, he's saying, don't worry about that, dude. That's a throne, I don't even know how far down, it's way down. I'm, I'm up here. I'm the king of kings and the lord of lords. And Jesus shows up to John in his prison in his ultimate majesty and authority. Verse 14, his head and his hair were white like wool, white as glistening snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His head and hair white as wool is another reference back to Daniel 7, to the ancient of days. So Jesus is not only showing that he's the son of man, he's also showing I am the ancient one. I am the everlasting father. I am I am Yahweh. I'm the everlasting God as well as the prince of peace. And his eyes of fire show us his perception to illuminate and burn through all the hidden things. He's the one right now with his eyes that that burn into each of your hearts finding the intent of your heart, finding the things that you thought you had tucked away from everyone else, only known to you, he sees right through you, right into you. And the beautiful thing is that his eyes, when you look at him, you allow him into your heart, burn out any of that stuff, just like taking off the dross off, off of a furnace of gold. It, he scoops away those impurities with his eyes, with one look, he can take it away. Verse 15, his feet were like gleaming bright metal, as though they were glowing in a fire, and his voice was like the roar of many rushing waters. That burning nature of his feet showed the strength of his every movement. That where he stands, he moves also. It's not just in one place. 
And where he moves, no one can destroy. He's firmly implanted wherever he's standing. And remember, he's standing in the middle of the lampstands. He's standing in the middle of the churches. And his strength is within us and yet all around us. His voice, like the roar of many waters, it was a voice that, of Jesus that John had never heard before. The most powerful voice in all the world. John, John had heard Jesus speak many, many times, but yet he'd never heard this voice before. A voice that was magnified that only John could describe as rushing waters, many rushing waters. A voice that made Niagara Falls, the sound of Niagara Falls, seem puny in comparison. The fullness of the voice of the ancient of days unleashed. Verse 16, and in his right hand, he held the seven stars. Phil will get more into that next week. And out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword, and his face was shining like the brightness of the blinding sun. His right hand of power and authority, that's what the right hand signifies, holding seven stars, which are the messengers, the angels to the churches, showing that even those messengers, he controls the message that he sends to his churches. He's holding that in his right hand. And out of his mouth, a sharp double-edged sword, it's his voice again, showing how powerful and precise every word from his mouth is. It's, his voice has both the accuracy and authority to cut into any situation at any time to enforce his word, like let there be light. His voice is the most powerful force in eternity. That's why it mentions it twice here. And his face. I love that he mentions his face last. The fullness of a face that few have seen. Jesus in all his glory, blinding like the sun. The most beautiful face. The face of our Father. The face that we pray in the priestly blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. We say it twice, turn his face towards you. See, when his face is on you, nothing can stop you. When his face is on you, you have the full blessing of the Father. That's why in Revelation 21 and 22, we don't need a son anymore. Because he's the one that lights up everything. That's what we're going to. That's the hope of what is coming Verse 17, and when I saw him, and you would too, I fell down at his feet as good as dead. But I love this. He laid his right hand upon me. The same hand that had those seven stars, those seven messengers, he laid upon me. And he's willing to lay it upon you too, if you'll seek him. And he said this. In a reassuring voice, he said, don't yield to fear. See, when you bump up against fear, that's not a sin. That's not a bad thing. When you yield to it, that's the problem. Bumping into it is actually a good sign. I'll talk about it in a little bit. Don't yield to fear. I am the beginning and I'm the end, the living one. I was dead, but now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys that unlock death and the unseen world. <laughs> I was in the spirit 
heard a voice when I turned I saw the son of man in his full glory and I fell at his feet as though dead see John had been turning to Jesus his entire life for a long time for 60 plus years he'd been turning to Jesus remember that one day I just talked about it Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee and he saw two sets of brothers Peter and Andrew and James and John. And he called to them. He said, come, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. And that day, John dropped his net, left his father, left his boat, and he turned to walk after Jesus. It was the first time he had turned to walk after Jesus. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're here today and you're You're like young John. You've never turned to Jesus. Maybe you've had the opportunity before. Maybe you haven't. But today could be your first day to turn to him. You've never fully dropped everything and turned control over to Jesus. Today's your day to turn and walk that shoreline with Jesus. Then there was that one day that that Jesus took Peter, James, and John up the Mount Transfiguration. Remember that? And Moses and Elijah showed up, and all of a sudden, the voice of the Father spoke from the cloud, and the glory shone all around Jesus, and John fell on that day, too. John was never the same after that day. None of the three of those guys were the same after that day. It's another turning day in the life of John, and maybe that's you today. The Holy Spirit wants to show you something. He wants to reveal his mystery to you, but you've been playing hide-and-go-seek, and you have just sat there. You haven't gone to seek the king, and you're wondering why you can't get answers because you're not stepping after him. And like John, you actually have to climb the mountain to get into his presence. You have to put yourself in position. You have to choose, am I going to pull back the curtain to unveil this Jesus Christ? See, he has secrets that he wants to unveil to Just you. Mysteries that are reserved just for you. Not for me. There's there's some that are reserved for me. There's some that are just for you. And he is so excited to show you. He's so desperate to show you. But he's never going to force you. He'd love to show you if you'd press into him. If you'll come up here. If you'll come into the spirit realm. If you don't care about anyone else in the room except for Jesus. That's when he'll show you. Many of us, our pride holds us back. Our fear of man holds us back from seeking the king of kings. Then there was that dark, very early Sunday morning, three days after Jesus had been put to death on the cross, and an overwhelmed and very distraught Mary Magdalene showed up to Peter and John and, and told them, somebody's stolen the body of Jesus from the tomb. And I don't know where they've put him. And John turned in that moment, and he ran like he'd never run before in his life. In fact, he kind of bragged about it. He said he beat Peter in the foot race. And he showed up to an empty tomb, and He saw the linen lying there, but no body. And he writes this in his gospel. He says, 
it was at that moment that I understood the scriptures. When he turned and ran, see, sometimes you've got to run. Sometimes you've got to run to find the answers. And he turned and he ran to the tomb. And then when he, in that moment, he saw the linen lying there. He didn't see a body. All of a sudden, he understood the scripture. See, there's always more mystery for us to uncover if we'll run after him, if we'll turn and run. And maybe that's you today. You've, you've been hiding as a Christ follower, and, but you've been more of like a cave-dwelling Christian than one living in resurrection power. You're the one that's been too scared to read the book of Revelation because it's all fear-based in your heart. See, today's your turn to run to the tomb, to see for yourself that he's got more for you, that he holds the power of death in his hand. He's conquered that. He's unlocked death in the unseen world. This is your day to hear him, to turn and see him, to fall on your face before him. It's your time to move if faith will move your heart enough to move your feet. My point is you're never done turning to him. I'm never done turning to him. If you're eight seconds old, if you're 88 years old, if you're 188 years old, you're not done turning. It's your day to turn. It's your moment to turn. You're never done turning to him. I was really grateful for Sela weekend last weekend because uh, we moved into a new house and um, I would have actually rather been at church for sure than how exhausted we all were moving, moving that weekend. But um, for over 12 years, I, I think I might get the timeline wrong, but for over 12 years, the Bolt family and the Taves family have had this dream of buying land together and living on that land. And I don't have time to go into all of it, but after miracle after miracle and steps of obedience and the Skolaski family joining in on this miracle, Three families bought 140 acres, just about 25 minutes north of here. And um, we closed on June 30th, spent our entire holiday weekend moving two families into one house for now. That's a lot. But I have to say this, that we had a 90-day close. And during that 90 days... I faced more fear than I ever may have in my entire life. Now, facing fear is different than yielding to fear. That's, that's what I just told you. The sign of fear is actually a good thing. See, I know why I faced the fear. I know why we faced the fear. Because those giants are in, were intimidated for us to take the land. Because remember, everything in the physical realm is represented in the spiritual realm and vice versa. There's something significant that happened when we stepped onto that land on June 30th in the spiritual realm that's going to benefit every single one of you. I don't know all the mysteries. Uh, I don't know everything yet. But I know the Spirit of God has told me that when we stepped onto that land, something shifted in this region and for this family. But there's so many reasons why this shouldn't have happened. Countless reasons. Only Jesus Christ could have orchestrated this to happen. So many giants, 
so much fear, yet I'm so grateful to stand alongside of Joshua and Caleb that saw the giants, and we all said, no, we've, we know what we've heard. We're stepping onto that land. When Jesus said, go, I don't want to walk in the wilderness, because if we stay here, we're going to walk in the wilderness. We've got to move in obedience, and I'm so grateful that these three families moved in obedience. So we got settled on the land, and we're exhausted and so grateful for what the Lord's done. And my new favorite place to hang out is, is on our front porch. And I think we got a picture of one of the first nights there just after moving in, just hanging out on the front porch. And I think we all just sat there, like, experiencing the goodness of God, like we we're living in a dream or something. But I kept thinking that night and the next morning, I kept thinking, something's not complete. Something's not complete. And then there's a picture of me sitting on the porch here, or from my perspective at least, about 6.30 in the morning, the morning light just shining in. And I remember sitting there, I think it was Wednesday morning, about 6.30, and I thought, God, this is so incredible. Like, you've given us literally a piece of heaven on earth, but something's missing. And then all of a sudden, I remembered what it was. See, the Sklasky kids and the Taves kids, they were both at camp in Missouri. And in one moment, I realized the heart of the Father. See, I'd done all this for them. We'd done a lot of hard work for them, and they weren't with me here to enjoy it yet. They were coming, but they weren't quite with me here to enjoy it yet. And in that moment, I experienced the heart of the Father and what this whole book of Revelation is about, that there's a Father who <laughs> created us for a garden. And we broke that covenant, and he had to send his most precious thing, his son, to rescue us and redeem us and show up in another garden, in the garden tomb, so that, Revelation 21 and 22, he's preparing a place for us, a perfect garden, and we get glimpses of it here on earth because he's installing it here on earth. He's installing heaven here on earth, and he's coming to get his kids from camp. He's coming to get his kids from camp. And it's, his heart is not complete until his children are all with him. That's the entire gospel. That's the entire word. That's why he did what he did. Because the heart of the father is love. That he loves his sons and daughters so much that he would send his son to be brutally killed for them. To be brutally punished for them to take your place, what should have been your death, and die it for them. And his heart is that we just turn and keep turning. Because you know what? He's always turning towards you. I don't know how far you've run from him. I don't know the times that you should have turned that you haven't. He's, he's right there. He's, he's on the edge of his throne waiting to come pick up his kids at camp. And as soon as they get excited enough, as soon as they get hungry enough, 
as soon as the remnant gets white hot enough, he's going to come. Until we have the heartbeat of Revelation 22 and our heart wants to come back from camp to the place that he's prepared for us, to the place that he's going to install here on earth for us, until our heart says, come, Lord Jesus, come. He's not going to, but I'm telling you what, it's getting close. It's getting close. And this morning you have an opportunity to turn yet again. Would you stand with me? Just close your eyes. I was in the spirit realm on the Lord's day. One of the reasons we close our eyes to is so that we can't see into the physical realm, to be distracted. Let your heart and your body go to the spirit realm right now. As far as you're concerned, there's no one in the room except for King Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard a voice. He's calling to you. I don't know which turn this is for you. If it's your first turn or 10,000th turn, it doesn't really matter. The only thing that matters is that you turn when he speaks. Holy Spirit, invade this moment. Unleash your voice, Jesus. We want to hear you. Speak to us. And when I turned, as your responsibility, turn, whatever that looks like for you this morning. Maybe you physically need to come up to the altar. Maybe you physically need to move your body. Most of the time, I believe there's a physical movement when there's a spiritual movement. When I turned, I saw. I saw someone like the Son of Man. standing in the middle of the church. He's in the middle of your circumstances right now. He's in the middle of your Patmos prison right now. He's in the middle of of whatever it is that you're going through. He's much bigger than your circumstances. But you have to hear him, turn to him, see him. He's a full-length robe. He's your high priest. He gives you access 
by his blood to the throne room. He has a golden sash across his chest. He is the king of kings. He is the CEO of CEOs. He is the Lord of lords. He is the ruler of rulers. He is the majestic one. He is the ancient of days. His hair is white as wool. He has no beginning and no ending. He knows the number of every hair on your head. He wants to love you so intimately. He's desperate for you to love him back, but he won't force you. He's got mysteries for you. His eyes are like flames of fire. He sees into your every thought and motive. And maybe there's some thoughts and motives that that are in your heart that have been troubling you. He sees them. He knows them. But his eyes can burn them out. But he won't do it until you turn to him and ask. His feet are like gleaming bright metal standing firm in your midst standing firm in your situation his voice is like the sound of many rushing waters and his right hand if you fall before him, his right hand he will place on you. He will speak his reassuring voice over you and remind you how much he loves you, that his banner over you, it's always been love. He's never hated you for a moment. That's not in his nature. He's always, always loved you. His mouth is a double, sharp-edged sword that cuts between soul and spirit, cuts between the very spirit he put in you, the very heart of David he put in you. He wants to cut the things of the world that are trying to attach to that. He wants to cut the hardness off your heart. He wants to give you a new heart, a soft heart, a tender heart. If you turn once again to him, you're never done turning. And his face, oh, his face is like the brightness of the sun. His face just beams at you when you turn to him. Oh, that we'd experience the glory from his face when we turn, when we fall, when we allow him to put his right hand on our shoulder. We allow him to speak words over us. Don't yield to fear. Yeah, you see fear all around you. The giants are all around you, but don't yield to fear. Fear is not your future. 
he is your future. The King of Kings, the risen and magnificent Lord of Lords, the one who will mark you, who is marking you right now, writing new names on you right now to those that yield to him and don't yield to fear. He's got a new name for you. He's got a new name for your situation. He's got a new name for that Goliath that's facing you. That's actually your future and your promise. It's not the fear that holds you back, but it's up to you to step into the situation. It's up to, up, up to you to trust him, to look higher and higher. There's all kinds of thrones and kings and powers, but there's only one power. There's only one name that the righteous run to and are safe. There's only one name that saves. There's only one king that reigns, and we're in his kingdom. And you are called a kingdom of priests to our God. And he's looking for people with the heart of David, that heart that turns. Even when you've done the most horrible things, the heart that turns to him, that's the heart he created. That's the heart he's going to inherit, Revelation 22. This is a church that has a heart of David. And we will never stop turning towards our Father. Because in my Father's house are many mansions, Jesus said. I go to prepare a place for you. He's coming to get you from camp, but he's waiting for your excitement. He's waiting for your hunger. He's waiting for you to be white hot, so white hot that you tell your neighbor about this king. So white hot that, that the world pales in comparison. So white hot that you see pieces of heaven. You call pieces of heaven down to earth because that is your heartbeat. It's become the heartbeat of your father. Do you understand that his heart is for family? His heart is for sons and daughters. He could have done it all by himself. But no, his heart is for you as a son, for you as a daughter. He died and he rose again for you. That's our king. You don't have a future that's full of fear. You have a glorious future that's full of the hope of Jesus Christ. That's the message of Revelation. Holy Spirit, we love you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us today. Continue to reveal yourself as we pull back the curtain of Revelation, as we pull back that curtain to unveil who you are, Show us your mysteries. As kings in your kingdom, we are committed to going after your glory, to finding out your mysteries, to never get tired of discovering the gifts that the Father has for us. Thank you. Thank you that we can join the bride in saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. We want to see more of you. We want to hear more of you. We want to know more of you. We want to fall at your face more and more and more. Thank you for what you unveiled to John in Revelation 1. May it be the cry of our heart as well. Come, Lord Jesus, come.